So are you ready? I kind of joked about it, mm, half joked about it, concerning the 2024 election. Are you ready for COVID-24? Not so funny if you listen to the uh, <clears throat> individual in the White House. about the uptick of COVID cases and the new variant? Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, I signed off this morning on a proposal we have to present to the Congress a uh, request for additional funding for new vaccine that is necessary, that works. And tentatively, not decided finally yet, tentatively, it is recommended that it would likely be recommended that everybody get it, no matter what they got before now. Signing off on new funding for a new vaccine that, quote, everyone should get. Yes, that's what Biden said. I didn't take one. I got COVID about three days later after a little sniffly nose because I had been taking uh, hydroxychloroquine. I felt just fine. What have we learned and what have some not learned at all? Let's talk to one of just the handful, literal handful of medical professionals who has been telling the truth for the last three years. He's a very good friend of the show, Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome back to America First One-on-One. Thanks for having me. Um, We have so much to discuss. I've got a long list of questions. We haven't spoken for a couple of months. Uh, You're traveling the world. You were telling me before we came on 200 live speeches recently. You're off to Copenhagen. You're off to the European Parliament. Um, We'll get to all of those questions. But first, can I just get your raw reaction to the chief executive saying, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're signing off a new funding Congress, new vaccine that everybody's going to take. Uh, vaccination is not medically necessary nor sufficient. A paper by Clausen and colleagues, uh, 97% of Americans like you and me have had COVID. Uh, we're already through it. So our natural immunity will protect us against any severe outcomes. The current variants are so mild, it's less than a common cold. Sebastian, my mother in independent living just got through it in a few days, just using over-the-counter remedies. So a vaccine right now uh, is not is certainly not needed. And to my knowledge, the vaccines haven't become any safer. People, Americans have great concerns over vaccine safety. We'll talk about how the medical profession, not the medical profession, uh, the gatekeepers of the medical profession have redefined words such as vaccine and the word case, which is very, very telling. But uh, let's do the most important thing uh, straight up. Uh, people will want to know, given the experience of your mother, uh, especially, and, and those like you and I who've weathered COVID without a vaccine, what is the state of the art in terms of, you know, z uh, ivermectin? If a new coronavirus comes, uh, I, I was very lucky because my doctor super early on said hydroxy is the thing. Take it prophylactically once a week. And that's why when I caught COVID in the December, um, I was like, okay, I, I didn't realize I was sick. I had a little bit of a runny nose. Once I, I took it, uh, I, I got ivermectin and I was fine within three days. What do we know of the off-label usage and the things which have been most effective in the last three years? 
Now we actually advance virucidal nasal sprays and washes. Uh, dilute iodine, xylitol, colloidal silver, they all work fine. Scope and Listerine works fine in the mouth. We can do this twice a day preventively, every four hours during active treatment. Over-the-counter zinc, vitamin D, and high doses, vitamin C, quercetin, and over-the-counter famotidine in high doses. Uh, so, you know, for my mom, she just used the virucidal nasal sprays and washes the over-the-counter and she's through it. Remember when it's the second and third infection, it, it's no different than a common cold. Now, if we have first infections, we can reach for hydroxy ivermectin. I we, lo we lost you there. We, lo we lost you there. We don't have uh, hang severe. On. Start, can, you start, can you start that sentence again? It just froze. Yeah. We can reach for ivermectin. Carry on. We can reach for, if needed, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, Paxlovid, molnupiravir. They're all available and fine. Sometimes we add antibiotics, azithromycin, doxycycline. It would be very rare to actually have to use budesonide, prednisone, or the other drugs. I'm having nobody close to being hospitalized. I have not had a hospitalized case now in well over two years. It's not going to happen now. Uh, so I want people to understand that they can take control of this at home. McCullough Protocol on my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com, will you know the up top uh, things to do at home and the over the counter uh, protocol is perfectly fine. I want to have a protocol. Why, why isn't there a Gorka protocol? He's got the McCullough Protocol. Go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com. What a superb thing to have a, your own protocol. All right. Um, can I just drill down on a couple of these things? Because I'm so fascinated by this as you know, an amateur, a PhD, not, a, not an MD. Uh, you mentioned vitamin D and zinc. My producer, even before COVID, said he takes zinc all the time, this, this wonder drug. Or, or Tell us why zinc and just basic vitamins like C and D are mm. so efficacious in the case of a, a, a coronavirus? Zinc inhibits viral replication across the whole class of viruses. Now, most of us have plenty of zinc in our diet, but those on diuretics or other adult medicines can be zinc deficient, but we do use it therapeutically. Vitamin D is very interesting. You know, every paper in COVID on vitamin D was strongly positive. So we actually use vitamin D therapeutically. So baseline vitamin D uh, daily use, 5,000 units a day is fine. But in acute treatment now, McCullough protocols use 20,000 units a day for five to, to 30 days. And it's well supported by the evidence. Vitamin C, fine to use for the common cold, but in high doses, 3,000 milligrams. Uh, so these are all perfectly reasonable things to do. Uh, we learned from the Indians, Pakistanis, to use actually quercetin and now um, curcumin, curcumin uh, as a, a, an anti-inflammatory. And then lastly, over-the-counter famotidine or Pepsid has specific uh, SARS-CoV-2 inhibition taken at 80 milligrams a day. So and there was a big study at University of Virginia showed that. So we've been using over-the-counter combinations very successfully. And this is wonderful because you don't need a doctor People can take care yeah. of this themselves. Just a little uh, little side anecdote. Curcumin is one of the ingredients of relief factors. So when you take your relief factor, you're going to have a very healthy dose, dose of curcumin. All right. I'm going to get very specific. I've just been texted by somebody on my team who will remain nameless. He may, not, or, may or may not be my producer. <laughs> can you ask the good doctor if a 41-year-old male who had two doses of the Pfizer vaccine in August of 20 never got 
any boosters, but hasn't had any side effects yet, if this theoretical hypothetical individual is still at risk from vaccine side effects. So we're two years later, he hasn't had any from the Pfizer. Is he probably in the clear? A very important paper from Schmeling from Denmark showed there's three groups of patients according to the batches. Sebastian, this is important, the batch of vaccine product. The low-risk batches have zero side effects, nothing. They don't even feel it in the arm, not even a sore arm. If, if one doesn't even have a sore arm and it's two years, they're not going to have anything. They essentially got uh, a, a, you know, a very, very minimal dose of the messenger RNA. But, but, that, uh, but, that, myth- but that's, this is vaccine-specific, is it not? I mean, it depends whether you're it, Pfizer, it's, Moderna. It's, uh, yeah, it's batch specific. You can look up online, look up uh, howbadismybatch.com, and you can see they're rank ordered. I think there's about 168 batches. So they're rank ordered. But this low risk batch, nothing ever happens to these people. The Schmeling data show that. There's an intermediate group of uh, just under two thirds where there are some moderate side effects. Now, the third batch group is what you want to watch out for. That's the upper tier of batches, 4.2% of doses. It's through the roof heart damage, blood clots neuropathy. And some of the cardiac arrests we're seeing, uh, Sebastian, can occur two years later after the shots. Blood clots can occur several years after taking them. Now, all these stories we see of, you know, healthy footballers, sportsmen in Europe and elsewhere, suddenly having heart attacks or myocarditis. Now, yes, there is the Streisand effect that we're looking for these kinds of things. Is there a statistical demonstrable uptick in these kinds of things occurring in the last two years? There is. There's a paper by Polly Cretis and myself looking at the European data, and it's about a tenfold increase. So it's real. The vaccines have really, really increased the risk for cardiac death in athletes. Wow. Uh, every time I ask a question, and, and not even a moment of hesitation, he's giving us a paper, the authors, uh, the references. That's why he is the renowned medical professional. He is the website where you can find the McCullough uh, protocol is PeterMcCulloughMD.com. Follow him at P underscore McCulloughMD on Twitter. Author of The Courage to Face COVID-19, along with John Leake, preventing hospitalization and death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex. Next, okay, let's let's talk about the, the historic review, Dr. McCullough. Um, when we look at the deaths, we, we now know that, you know, for children, basically immune from it. That's why it's so galling and utterly, utterly outrageous that children were masked, children weren't allowed to go to school. I still remember to this day going into a store where the, the young woman behind the counter insisted I put a mask on, which I refused to do. I, I actually left before I, I, I bought anything. And we, with these words, Dr. McCullough, she said, put a mask on because I can't get my, uh, my toddler, my three-year-old vaccinated. And I thought, dig. God, you, you want to have your three-year-old vaccinated? Are you, are you insane, woman? Do a little bit of homework with regards to the COVID uh, <laughs> you know, virus and, and your children. Anyway, that, that's the level of indoctrination. Um, I want to have a, a professional sanity check. Lots of people died. Um, I think it had a lot to do with the shutting down of general health care. So people died from all kinds of other things they, they would have been seen for otherwise. And then the other thing is the aggressive use of ventilators on the aged. 
didn't stop the secondary inflammation of, 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 the, uh, of, of the airwaves, the airways. And, and that's the reason for many of the deaths. But I, I'm just, you know, looking at data I've analyzed. Why were people dying, Dr. McCullough? Let's take the United States, 1.2 million deaths, uh, you know, as the top line report. But there's a lot behind that. Um, we have, we're number one in COVID deaths in the world, but we're less than 5% of the population. One of the things we've learned is that deaths were overcoded because the hospitals were so incentivized for COVID payments that if someone came in and really died of another problem uh, and they happened to test positive for COVID, of which people were testing positive for many, many months after the initial infection, they were still labeled as a COVID death. We do know that other medical problems contributed in the causal pathway of death. And then importantly, we realized virtually all the deaths occurred in the hospital in people who received no early treatment. So as we sit here today, it's 1.2 million people top line. It's probably only 10% of that were truly due to COVID pneumonia. And, uh, and then very importantly, uh, uh, undertreated in the hospital. We know that only 15% of people received monoclonal antibodies before they came in. They should have all gotten monoclonal antibodies. They should have all gotten ivermectin, higher doses of steroids. The McCullough protocol continued in the hospital. Then other things could have been added. I think people could have been saved. Uh, you mentioned the ventilators. They were overutilized. We learned that the um, low oxygen saturation was easily tolerated at home. We published two papers on this, one Hazen as a first author, the other one uh, from Africa uh, that indicated that uh, low oxygen saturation alone was not the trigger for intubation. It was really, you know, if someone could tolerate uh, the work of breathing and accessibility to medications. I treated patients with O2 saturations in the 70s at home provided they had good multi-drug medical care. So the hospital became, in a sense, the place of death for COVID-19, uh, and it should have been avoided. Um, I have to ask, with regards to the, the, the initial medical treatment, my personal experience was fascinating. I wasn't afraid of this. I was already taking uh, hydroxy prophylactically once a week. And just out of, uh, you know, overabundant caution, my wife, two days before Christmas, said, before we go and visit my 82-year-old mother, hers, my mother-in-law, let's just get everybody tested for COVID, just in case, which is a reasonable thing to do with an elderly woman. And so we go, we go to the local uh, clinic, and my children, my wife, fine, negative. Of course, it's me, the guy with the runny nose, who tests positive, and I didn't feel sick. And it wasn't a nurse, wasn't a nurse practitioner, an, a doctor, an MD, actually executed the test on me. Comes back and says, "Dr. Gorka, I'm sorry, uh, but you're positive." And I, okay. And then I was just curious, and I said to him, "So what do I do?" Because you know we've been told this is the Black Death. It's back. What do I do? What do I take? I just I played you know uh, up to the news, and he said, um, "Just go home." It's like I, I, this. This is the cognitive dissonance. We're being told that this is going to wipe out Western civilization. Yet the doctor who comes with the news that I'm positive says, "Go home." There seems to be some disconnect for me there. It's true. In medicine, we've never treated a potential fatal illness by doing nothing, and particularly an infection. And so McCullough Protocol always did a tiered approach. 
in terms of risk stratification. So you may have had a risk with your age and uh, but you know you already you already really improved your body weight. Those pictures, by the way, Seb, were really impressive. Uh, so your body weight was down, your fitness. Uh, so you had a good overall parameters. It's fine to take the oral program that you did to probably reduce the intensity and duration of of symptoms. Uh, elderly people we, and, and people with heart failure, emphysema, people in my clinic, we took a more cautious approach. I heavily relied on monoclonal antibodies intensive use of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, corticosteroids. Once we learned how to do the virucidal nasal washes and sprays, they were a huge breakthrough. But I was always working to save my patients. The question is, why were other doctors willing to, to sit on the sidelines and just let people get sick and be hospitalized? Yeah, yeah. The book is The Courage to Face COVID-19, co-authored uh, with John Leake, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Follow the good doctor at his website. Check out the McCullough Protocol, PeterMcCulloughMD.com, and follow him at P underscore McCullough. That's M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H, McCullough. And if uh, you enjoy what we provide for you here, make sure you are always up to date, especially with the breaking news and all of our analysis by following us on social media. Just look for Seb Gorka or Sebastian Gorka on all the usual channels that matter. That includes Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parler, Getter, Telegram. You can watch us on your television through your Roku, your Fire Stick device, or just get the Salem News Channel app. And for unique content from me and access to me, go to my Substack. That's SebastianGorka.substack.com. That's my whole name as one word, SebastianGorka.substack.com. And don't Dr. McCullough, I, I don't know enough about them. I, I didn't take them as a treatment. Can you explain what the monoclonal antibodies are and, and how they function? The monoclonal antibodies were a product of Operation Warp Speed. So remember under Trump, uh, he showed tremendous leadership in driving the biotech industry forward. Probably one of the best things that came out of Operation Warp Speed was the monoclonal antibodies. First one was by Lilly and then Sanofi and other companies. These antibodies basically neutralized the virus. We could give them intravenously. Every single study showed that they were safe and effective. They saved lives. The only shortcoming was that the Biden administration did not uh, provide a supply chain to us. You remember Ron DeSantis in Florida was pulling his hair out trying to get the senior citizens monoclonal antibodies. I used them whenever they were available. We knew in a paper from Medical Economics that the United States had pre-purchased enough doses to treat every American. The sad thing was is that the Biden administration could not deliver the goods to people who needed them and sadly, people are unnecessarily hospitalized and died. I think every single person admitted should have given monoclonal antibodies in the ER uh, to give them the best chance of survival. And sadly, it didn't happen. And these aren't drugs. These are organic substances. Explain what they are. No, they are drugs. They are, they are specifically designer antibodies that bind SARS-CoV-2. So they're high-tech drugs. They're expensive. Our government developed them and paid for them, but sadly, they didn't deliver them. And if we would have had a much bigger focus on monoclonal antibodies, instead of, instead of having this vision of endless vaccination, we could have treated people sick who needed them uh, at the moment of crisis in their lives. And sadly, we let them down. 
What, one of the things that, that I realized early on as a, a, you know, a former philosophy and theology major where, where words matter, where definitions count, is this very sneaky thing I observed in the usage of language amongst the professional journals, that a case, which in the past had been something serious requiring medical treatment or hospitalization, a case basically became overnight uh, testing positive on a COVID test. And then vaccines were likewise redefined by the quote-unquote industry, not as something that provides permanent or semi-permanent immunity, but is something you have to have boosted every couple of months. Uh, how, how did science so quote-unquote surreptitiously redefine fundamental concepts? In our book, uh, Courage to Face COVID-19, we define this biopharmaceutical complex, this syndicate. They're changing all the definitions and rules in order to be able to sell endless vaccines. And you see the Biden administration just bought into another vaccine. This is a vaccine syndicate, and they are in the business of endless vaccination. So, no, a case is not testing positive. A case is somebody who actually has adjudicated pulmonary COVID-19, a vaccine should be at least 50% protective of actually getting the disease and has to last at least a year. Otherwise, it's not a viable vaccine. The COVID-19 vaccines were never viable. They were never shown to stop COVID, to reduce transmission or reduce hospitalization and death in prospective double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trials. Uh, And they've never been shown to reduce severity in any um, valid non-randomized study. So there's no rationale to take them. The website is PeterMcCullerMD.com. You must check out the McCullough Protocol, and the book is The Courage to Face COVID-19, co-authored with John Leake. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First, coming to you from the ReliefFactor.com. It's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. I'm the bad guy to an entire subset of people because I represent something that is uncomfortable for them. It's called the truth. I am science. I am truth. That is the fascistic Fauci's statement about who he is. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I'm going to be very indiscreet now in front of three and a half million people. How many years have you been in medicine? How many decades? I'm in my fourth. Yeah, I'm in my fourth decade right now. Okay, in your four decades of practicing medicine, of learning medicine, of being associated with medical practice, what would have happened if one of your college professors? somebody presenting a paper at a conference, mm-hmm. or anybody in one of the, you know, the white jackets that you're wearing had said in front of a professional audience of doctors and, and practitioners, I am science, I am truth. You know, I think people would have sneered. Uh, science is a process. We all participate in the scientific method. There simply are the generation of data. We make observations. There's always multiple points of view. Nobody represents science, the process. And by the way, there's no such thing as misinformation. That term has been weaponized by Fauci. There's simply data and multiple points of view. So what we learned over time is that he lied. He lied to two presidents. He lied to America. And this has all come out in the uh, House Coronavirus Select Committee investigations. He actually organized a cover-up 
on the origins of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in the Wuhan lab. He did it intentionally with his boss, Francis Collins, and another, a cadre of involved people. And so he conspired to cover up a global security get, threat. The whole world got sick because of him. And now he's claiming to represent science and uh, driving the only answer he ever wanted, which was mass vaccination. And, and we now have the evidence. We have the emails that he wrote where he actually decide, decided to collude with others to attack the professionals, the professors, the medical practitioners who'd signed the Barrington Declaration. So you have a government official who's actually planning a smear campaign against those who dare to say something different to him. How, how does this happen in, 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 a, in, in a profession that is supposed to be saving lives, doctor? It happens when one person becomes a megalomaniac who he wants to become a basically became a medical dictator. He was criticizing uh, my my fellow Fox frequent contributor uh, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, uh, and, and you know Bhattacharya Kaldar uh, from Harvard's Gupta from Oxford. They published the Great Barrington Declaration, which I fully supported, which said we should only protect our seniors, we shouldn't lock down the economy, we shouldn't cripple the world over this. And we should treat patients early. And I was the first to publish a, a treatment protocol. Other ones came in. And uh, we, we learned there was many ways to treat the illness. Fauci never worked well in teams. He never called in expert doctors to give reports. America did not get the COVID response it deserved because of Anthony Fauci. Yeah, I, I just remember interviewing uh, Scott Atlas was brought in in the latter months of the Trump administration, and, and he'd arrived to the COVID task force meetings, you know, with, with massive piles of papers, the latest study out of, you know, South Korea or what have you, uh, and, uh, you know, with data, the latest data on what's working, what isn't working. Fauci, no, he hadn't read any of them, uh, didn't know they existed, and, and never prepared. And that, that tells you how dangerous it is. You mentioned his attempt to cover up any investigation of the origins and, and how uh, he helped fund uh, the Wuhan Communist uh, Military right. Lab through the cutout, the Eco Health mm. Alliance. Uh, is there some kind of um, new data? Is there any kind of growing consensus uh, amongst those who speak the truth and who won't be... Uh, are not prepared to countenance censorship uh, amongst the medical professionals and researchers on the origins of the... We know it came from Wuhan, but as to whether or not this was a man-made or, or tweaked virus, mm -hmm. where, where are we now three years later? The July 11th, 2023 report from Brad Wenstrup, who is chairing the House Select Committee, indicates that the origins of the virus, it was actually designed by Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They published in 2015 uh, in Nature Medicine, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, that they created the SARS-CoV-2 prototype chimeric virus. That's in the literature. What happens in January of 2020 is Fauci, Christian Anderson from Scripps, uh, Edwin Holmes from Sydney, Peter Daszak, uh, EcoHealth Alliance, Jeremy Farrar at the Wellcome Trust, who's now chief scientist at WHO, they all conspire to deceive the world. And they published 12 fraudulent papers saying that the, the virus came out of nature. They knew that Barrick created it. Uh, Barrick worked with Fauci's division, NIAID. They funded it. 
Peter Daszak, the EcoHealth Alliance, he shuttled the plans over to the Chinese. You know, Peter Daszak spent $250,000 of American money just on plane fares to Wuhan. And, uh, you know, we understand that the U.S. was deep into viral threat development with the Chinese, multiple agencies, and all of this has come forward. Fauci tried to cover it all up because he knew he was at the center of it. He created this. The whole world got sick because of it. And now he was trying to cover up and orchestrate what we should do, making every wrong decision, masking, lockdown, social distancing, mass vaccination, all of that was the wrong response. We should have had an early treatment approach. Do we have any supposition as to um, what was the motivation? What, why would somebody who's in charge of infectious diseases and allergies be funding incredibly dangerous work in a communist lab? It doesn't look like it was for science's sake. Uh, and we learn more about it. It looks like it was biological threat development. That is, uh, this could be a potential biologic threat uh, uh, used intentionally in the future. So let's get, uh, you know, let's get scientific advantage with it and then create countermeasures, monoclonal ana antibodies, vaccines, and therapeutics. So it looks like it's a biological threat development. We know this because vaccine developer Peter Hotez in Houston it was learned that he had grants with the Chinese Fudong University, Dr. Jiang, in 2016, and his vaccines were in the grants called biodefense uh, articles. So, so we, you know, it means a defense against a, basically, a threat. Incredible. Absolutely stunning. We're talking to Dr. Peter McCullough, the uh, co-author of the book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Get it today and also check out his protocol for COVID at his website, Peter McCullough. MD.com, and please follow him on social media. Before we started uh, the interview, you used a very interesting phrase, uh, Dr. McCullough. You talked about the need to prioritize detoxification when it comes to uh, these vaccines. Um, what do we need to detoxify ourselves of, and how can it be done? What we've learned is both the infection and the vaccines install the spike protein from the virus. This is what Ralph Barrick at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill with Fauci really engineered was the spike protein, the surface spine on the ball of the virus. The spike protein, Sebastian, in the body does not degrade by human enzymes. It's an artificial design and it does cause damage. It, it damages the heart, it causes myocarditis, causes stroke. It's in the blood clots, the spike proteins physically in the blood clots and it causes immunologic problems. But work by Bruce Patterson at Incel DX has shown the spike protein can be in the human body for a couple years afterwards. With the vaccine, one gets a massive dose of spike protein. And so we've devised a protocol to detoxify it, to enable the body to break down the spike protein. And that's by using natural products. I've tried all the prescription drugs. None of them seem to work generically against this. We do need uh, uh, the aid of nature, and it includes natokinase. Natokinase, a derivative from the breakdown of soy, 2,000 units twice a day. Uh, bromelain, derived from the stems of pineapples, 500 milligrams a day. And then curcumin, which you've mentioned, 500 milligrams twice a day. These three together 
work as a detoxification protocol. I've been using it in my practice now for months. I'm observing improvement. We have a major paper published in the peer-reviewed literature in the Journal of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. It's also on the European Commission uh, uh, server right now, getting record downloads and reads. Detoxification with what we call base spike detoxification, meaning it's the base of treatment that we can use other things. The caveats are this is a blood thinning regimen. You know, blood clots have been uh, at a record rates right now. We're using uh, incredible uh, numbers of uh, blood thinners in patients that we can use these um, natural substances as a blood thinning regimen. It helps, they helps degrade the spike protein in preclinical studies and gets people better. Now, it takes about three to 12 months for this to work. It's not quick, and we have to watch out for uh, bleeding and for allergic reactions. But as long as people can tolerate it, this over-the-counter regimen really does work. And this is a kind of flushing mechanism to get the spike proteins out of the body. Are these, are these natural right. substances that latch onto the spike? Right. They actually cut this. They actually they cleave the spike protein. They break it up into small fragments wow. so the body can get it out. Now, I can't make any therapeutic claims because large randomized trials have not been done. Matter of fact, they're not even planned. But most people think we don't have enough time right now. Too uh, many people have taken these shots and they're sick. But all the details are on your website, I presume. Yes. All right. Well, everybody, PeterMcCullerMD.com, PeterMcCullerMD.com. Um, one more question, if I may, and this has been absolutely riveting. It's like being back in grad school. As somebody who's you know, stood in the arena, who's, who's took the buffeting, the attacks, you, Robert Malone, I mean, anybody who dares to speak up against the Fauci's of the world and, and the uh, pharmaceutical industrial complex, um, I, I have to ask you to you know, get out a crystal ball. And, and God bless you, Dr. McCullough. What happens next time? Will we see censorship? Will we see incompetence, arrogance, money-driven activities um, or will we see a complete disregard for official prescriptions and people saying, I don't trust anybody? Uh, will we just tur you know, pull into our shells? And I, I don't mind that for you know, one point of view because I have a very good doctor. And as far as I'm concerned, my health and the health of my family is a function of my discussions with my doctor. I don't care about anybody else. But, but what are your concerns looking forward for the next whatever it is pandemic? You know, I see attempts to try to bring us into lockdown, return of masks. Biden just said forced vaccination on everybody, no matter if they took the vaccine previously or not. What we've learned is a quarter of Americans have not taken a vaccine. A third of Americans, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation recent survey, believe the vaccines are responsible for large numbers of deaths. So they're not going to be taking the vaccine. We're seeing the rise of independent media. We're seeing the rise of people doing their own research, and they are seeking doctors and healthcare that's going to be personalized and responsive to them. Uh, they're not going to be railroaded, I don't think, into uh, commercialized vaccines or other approaches right now. Uh, I advise, as a chief scientific officer, the wellness company. This is a, a national alternative health system uh, that's arising uh, you know, with virtual offerings right now. It's first clinic uh, soon to open. I think we're going to see a change. Uh, conventional legacy media is going away. Yeah. Independent media is rising. People want different opinions. They want dialogue. Yeah.
I think uh, good things are happening as long as we have brave men and women uh, like yourself, Dr. McCullough, to tell the truth and never stand down. The book is The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. The website is petermcculloughmd.com. Check out the protocol there and the detoxification details and uh, on social media, P underscore McCullough MD. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to America first one-on-one. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty.